0: The following message is from Kings Church 1066 based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Yes, God, may your name be glorified. We lift you up, Jesus. Here in this place, in our hearts now, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you, God, for making a way through Jesus Christ. We worship you this morning. It's awesome to be in your presence. As we look at your word now, Lord, we just pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit, even now. As we listen, may our hearts be worshipful, open to what you have for us. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Hello. What a privilege it is to be sharing God's Word with you um, alongside Paul this morning. Um, As has been said, my name is Ben. Um, I'm uh, 34. I'm a father of four children, two boys and two girls. They're all under nine years old. Uh, And I'm married to my wife, Catherine, who's my best friend. She's somewhere. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, Catherine's a teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm part of a a senior management team or the senior management team for a a healthcare service and tech company called Medica based in Hastings believe it or not Um, and I have responsibility for commercial performance so that's what I do sort of midweek we live in battle um, and we've been at King's now for about six years Um, now I'm going to let you in on a bit of a secret I am a little nervous so it's great to see your smiling faces smiling back at me all right great keep that up Um, And we're going to look together at John 16, verses 16 to 33. All right, John 16, verses 16 to 33. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me. I think it's going to appear on the slides as well. uh, And I'll read through that for us. So it's titled, The Disciples' Grief Will Turn to Joy. So Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, well, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, well, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Now Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. And so with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name, Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask my Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to my Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. And yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Well, there's no hiding the fact that this passage is tough. And it is complex. There's quite a lot to it. So Paul and I have tried to add some structure or find some structure to working our way through it this morning. We're going to try and cover what Jesus says about sorrow and pain and grief. So a cheery start. And then touch on the promise of joy and peace. And then land on our Father's provision along that journey. So what's going on? Well, up to this point, The life for the disciples was going pretty well, actually. Life was good. They'd seen Jesus perform many miracles, like feeding thousands of people off just a few loaves and fish, healing the sick, and just a few days earlier, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem and been welcomed by the crowds in celebration. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they'd taken offense at what Jesus had said, and their plans were in motion to arrest and kill Jesus. So things are kind of building up to a turning point. And Jesus knows that, but the disciples don't yet understand that their joy was shortly to turn to sorrow. And in fact, that's our first point. It's that as Christians, there will be sorrow and there will be pain. In fact, particularly as followers of Jesus. Ultimately, we live in a world that is tainted by sin. And so whilst the Bible says that as Christians we are not of the world, we do live in it. And so we will experience the effect that sin has had on on this world. And Jesus talks often about how we should expect difficulties. And actually the very Holy Spirit who sustains us ...and dwells within us, also prompts and provokes in us... ...sometimes a a response of sorrow and grief... ...to the things that we see in the world around us. And Natalie touched on that a couple of weeks ago. And our Christian life can be a bit like this story. Things going fine. Life just seems to be settled, or perhaps we even have some really good news... ...and then suddenly everything changes. Something goes wrong, life takes an unsettled or even tough or painful turn... And the ground underneath us just feels like it's fallen away. And this can be anything from the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one um, to a serious health condition or a dream unfulfilled. And Jesus knows firsthand about pain and sorrow and loss just as he knew the confusion that the disciples would face in just a few hours' time. So Jesus is telling us and his friends some final things that are really key to coping with the troubled times ahead. And this leads on to a second point. It's a small one, but it's one that, I'll be honest, I'm still working through, you can ask Catherine, Um, and perhaps it's slightly more relevant for us guys than ladies, although I'll leave that with you guys. Um, And it's this. Emotions, particularly in this case, sorrow and grief, are okay. And in fact, they can be healthy. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with emotions. All right? I tend to see them as an unhelpful distraction to an otherwise orderly, methodical, process-driven way to deal with a situation. All right? I love a spreadsheet. All right? That's, that gives you an insight into me. And yet Jesus specifically says, we will feel sorrow and we will feel grief, we will feel disappointment and pain. In fact, Jesus himself weeps earlier in the New Testament about the fact that his friend Lazarus has passed away, even though Jesus knows that shortly afterwards he's going to raise him from the dead. And so the fact that Jesus takes time to prep his disciples and us in this way illustrates that processing these emotions and more than that, expressing them to God through prayer is an important part of the healing process and of maintaining a relationship of intimacy with God. Now, the disciples still don't fully understand what Jesus is talking about. They get that Jesus is going to go away, but they don't understand the timing uh, or the matter that Jesus is going to return to them. They don't quite get that. So they remain confused and they remain uneasy about the future. And this is our third point, confusion. Now we're in a privileged position here because we know the whole story. We know what happens. And yet I know this to be true of my life. I can still be confused and I can still question why when things go wrong. And if I were to ask for a show of hands around here, and don't worry, I won't. I'm sure there are lots of people who have the same experience still question why when things happen that we don't understand. Why did this happen, God? Now, Jesus does respond to the disciples' confusion. He does. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say he'll take the confusion away completely or that he'll make everything clear straight away. confusion is an understandable and possibly, because we're humans, inevitable reaction to situations of grief or or frustration. The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways, so we're not going to get them all the time. And this passage shows us that the best way to deal with our confusion is to bring it to Jesus, bring it to God, but also remain in community with our church family. The disciples were together at this point. They were not alone talking one-on-one with Jesus. And if you feel in a stage of confusion this morning, at home, perhaps watching on, online, then um, speak to Jesus, speak to God in your personal prayer time, but also find someone within the church, maybe your connect group to pray with, to chat with. So, we've touched on the fact that there will be sorrow and there will be grief due to the effects of sin. And that we'll need to process our emotions and our confusion to go through it. And this leads me to my last point before I hand over to to Paul. And it's good news, you'll be pleased to hear. All right, it's great news, it's fantastic. Jesus promises joy and peace. He says, Our sorrow will turn to joy. And joy everlasting. No one will take away our joy. And the image in this story is that of childbirth and how the pain is forgotten in the beauty of seeing a little baby born. Now anyone who's had the privilege of holding a newborn baby will know that, uh, whether it's theirs or someone else's, I should add, actually, um, they'll know the deep sense of joy of a little precious life in their hands. Maybe you, you remember that now. But for mum, there is pain before the joy. All right, mum's out there, you'll probably agree with that. I've been there for four of them. So, um, all right. And not only that, it's the very reason for the pain. It's the very process of going through the pain that becomes the source of joy. In fact, without the pain, There is no joy. That's the analogy that Jesus is drawing out. And at this point, I want to take a moment and just share a testimony of our life uh, and this journey of sorrow into joy. Now, shortly after we found out that Catherine was pregnant with our third child, Annabelle, we had the blessing of being told in our second scan at the hospital that we'd be having twins. And it was a blessing. You can imagine the surprise, but it was a blessing. And we were over the moon, And we began imagining family life ahead as we looked at the scan pictures of what I think looked like little aliens. But as the pregnancy went on in the next few weeks, the scans indicated that things weren't quite right. The conquests were great, um, but the doctors hadn't seen these indications uh, before. And so they informed us that twin two, whom we named Bluebell, was not doing well and would have complications. So, we explained that complications wouldn't have a bearing on whether we'd continue naturally. Um, And during that time, there was a lot of anxiousness, and there was a lot of sorrow because of the turn of events. So, we prayed a lot, and we had others, some of you in this room, praying with us. And as time went on, the doctors continued to monitor, um, and they could see Bluebell deteriorating. It, it, and it, in a way that they couldn't diagnose. So they, they sort of sent Catherine in a quite a dramatic same day referral up to a neonatal unit at King's. Um, and again, God's provision was over us because Catherine um, was seen very quickly. Um, but they confirmed that Bluebell was passing away. And our sorrow turned to grief at the loss of Bluebell. It was hard. It wasn't easy, it was hard. And throughout it all, we never felt abandoned by God or doubted his love, but we did question why it had to happen that way. And then our prayers turned to, well, if it's happened, because I'll be honest, we didn't get an answer, a clear answer, you know. We just started praying, well, if it's happened, God, then use it to reach others who have faced the same thing. And since then, We've both, particularly Catherine, had opportunities to speak with people who have bottled up similar experiences for years. We've been able to share how God was faithful, how our church family stood with us, and ultimately how Jesus can bring peace and healing in the midst of something like that. We've been able to talk to our children about Bluebell and about how God loves each of us so very deeply that he sent Jesus to die for us, and that has brought us joy. It hasn't taken away the fact that it was hard, but it's brought us joy. Now, this story isn't a blueprint for how it should look, all right? That is not a blueprint. I simply share our journey, and, our, uh, and everyone in this room will have different experiences and stories. Some simple, and some really complex, and still very raw, and that's okay. And we'll have an opportunity later on as we break bread together to respond. But whatever our situation, I want to suggest to you that God's work is not to extract our sorrow and replace it with joy, but to turn our sorrow into joy. The sorrow we experience is often directly connected to the coming of our joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength, it says in the Word of God. Joy is not just an emotion although it can and does lead to positive feelings, it's also a positive inner sense of certainty that God's good and perfect plans will come through. And joy can be experienced in our lives here on earth, like I've just described, even in the midst of sorrow. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a work in us that is brought about through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is also pointing us to a bigger, better joy to come, to joy everlasting. All right, not based on circumstances, a joy everlasting. Our life here is but a fraction of the life we look forward to with our Savior in heaven. The pain and the sorrow of the crucifixion all right, led to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Death defeated. It is finished. And when our faith is in Jesus, we have the sure and eternal promise of heaven. No more pain. No more sickness, no more tears. So there's a promise of joy that we can take hold of both now and to come. And before I hand over to Paul, just a sec, I just want to say, if you don't have a faith in Jesus this morning, I urge you, today is an opportunity to ask him into your life. All right, Life is temporary, but Jesus offers life and joy everlasting. Amen. Over to Paul to take us through to the next bit.
1: Thanks, Ben. Um, we, we, we were chatting through on Thursday and, and, and just we were really wanted to make sure that what we share dovetails together. It's not sort of like two separate um, uh, preaches. And uh, I think, just Ben, where you're sort of sharing personally, that thank you for your, well, you and Catherine for being willing to share that because um, I know it will encourage um, and bring comfort to, to many. So we've, we've heard in the midst of sorrow and hardship and confusion, we can know a joy. As Ben said, it's not, it's not that one gets replaced by the other, but sometimes actually the sorrow and the joy are sort of mingled together. There are moments when we're, we are heartbroken and yet we know something of that joy in God. But if we go to the end of the passage that Ben read out, in verse 33, Jesus says this, I've told you these thing, these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, and sort of that second sort of sub point is, we've 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 heard that there is joy available, but there is also there is also a peace available, which again isn't the absence of trouble, but it's peace in the midst of trouble and sorrow, and the way a New Testament teaching. Seems to indicate that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be expecting more trouble than if you weren't. That in actual fact, we don't get an easier run. But actually, as we look to follow Jesus in this world, we will have a more difficult time. Um, th- think you know, as as we look to follow the way of righteousness, and we look to follow what God tells us, means we are swimming in a countercultural way. We are. How we use our language, what we do with our money, what what our ethic is um, in, in the whole area of sex and relationships means we are swimming in a countercultural way, which means actually life is harder being a Christian. If you think about the whole area of persecution. Jesus earlier in this passage has promised that if you're a follower of me, you will be persecuted, Jesus said, just as I was persecuted. And so being a follower of Jesus is not that we have an absence of troubles. If anything, he seems to be promising it's going to be harder. But I've overcome the world, Jesus says, and you can know peace in the midst of it. It's interesting as well to notice, he says, in me, you may have peace. And that makes perfect sense because, come on, we know this, true peace is is grounded and birthed in peace with God. If you if you want to know peace from internal turmoil, the starting place is to know with no peace with the One that made you, and created it all, and that is only found in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And as Ben said as well, in this whole area, of peace. There is a peace we can know in this age, but there is a peace we will know in the age to come when all difficulties and all sorrow are gone forever, when sorrow, sin, and sickness has been banished. So how can we know this joy and this peace in the midst of difficulties? What what does that look like? How can we access it? Well, I just want to briefly take us through this passage together, just the second half of it, because as I was preparing, just something stood out to me. And, 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 the, and the Father, God the Father is mentioned six times in the last eight or nine verses. And I think there is a clue. There is something for us in there. And I really feel that as I, these points are quite simple um, and you may be familiar with many of them, but just as I go through these, and it'll only be a minute on each one, I, I really expect the Holy Spirit to minister to you because this is not just about us understanding something intellectually, but us knowing something of the work of the Spirit on the inside of us. So six very simple points about the Father. Firstly, in this life, we can know the Father. I mean, we, I, know, I know for so many of us here, this is like, well, we know that. We, we know that, but but... We can know the Father. In verse 25, he says this, Jesus says to his disciples, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. God, the creator, God, the sustainer, God who has got a plan for your life, you can know him. He's not hidden away. He's not up a mountain. He's not behind a curtain. He's not in a stone building in the middle of Jerusalem. He has revealed Himself so human beings can call out to the living God and can know Him. And if you are here today and you do not know God, you can know Him. He has made a way by which you can know the living God. And if you're a Christian here today and you think, I feel distant from Him, I'm not certain I do know Him. He's here, He's plain, He's visible. The reason Jesus Christ came was to reveal who the Father is. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is not hidden away. He is not distant. He is not unknowable. He is knowable. You can know Him. And there is not a person here in this auditorium who thinks you you, you cannot know God. You can. You can. He has made a way. Second point. We have access in this age, in this life, we have access to the Father. Jesus said to His disciples, I am going away. And what He meant by that is I'm gonna go and I'm gonna die on the cross and I'm gonna carry the weight of sin of humanity on my shoulders. And in so doing, in carrying that weight, being buried in the ground, then three days later rising again, He has made access so any human being can call out to Jesus Christ for mercy and we can have access to the Father. That is the only way. If you do not know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Saviour, you have no access to the Father. And the truth is you can't really know him either. But if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you have access. You have access on Sunday mornings. You have access at connect groups. You have access on your Wednesday lunchtime When you open the Psalms, which is a bit of the Bible, and you say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to understand what I'm reading? He is there. You have access. Jesus Christ made access for humanity to come to God. Without Christ, no access. The only thing we have is a fearful dread of the wrath of God. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, you can come. And has Ben finished, because Ben, if you don't know Jesus, I know Ben really wants you to come to know Jesus. He is really keen. I'm, I'm keen on that as well, but Ben is really, really keen. And you can because of what Jesus Christ has done. And if you're a Christian here today, you may feel rubbish and distant and you may have watched everyone else singing this morning thinking, oh, I wish I could have what they've got. Well, if you're a Christian, you have. You've got access to come before the throne of God with confidence, not because you're good, but because Jesus is. He is your only hope. He is your only hope, no other way. Your best efforts haven't added anything positive to your salvation, they haven't. We rest on the mercy of God. We, am- we rest on his amazing grace. Number three, in this life, we find in this passage, it says, we can pray to the Father. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says this, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Jesus had an effective prayer life. And he's basically saying to his disciples, you can have an effective prayer life. And if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you can have an effective prayer life. In, in his name, basically he's saying you're coming through Christ, direct to the Father, praying prayers that bring glory to God. So if you know what you're praying is bringing glory to God, you're coming through the Father, you can pray with confidence. Confidence. When you prayed this morning, you're not speaking to the air. You're not hoping, well, you may, you may feel that you are. You're not, you're not hoping that you may be heard. My Father in heaven, I can come with a boldness and confidence and talk to him. As confident as you can talk to the person next to you, knowing that they will hear you. They may not do what you ask. But they will at least hear you. And when I come to my Father, I can come with a confidence. What, what a privilege. How can we possibly allow our prayer lives to be dry and boring and uninteresting when I can talk to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, through Jesus Christ? Now I'm saying this not to make you feel bad. I, I want to stir you to think tomorrow morning I want to get up a bit earlier because I wanna pray to him before I start my day, because why on earth would I not want to? And he says the Holy Spirit's gonna help me to do it as well. And if you don't know where to start, why not have a look at John chapter 17, where you see Jesus's last prayer on earth, which is just full of stuff and just say, Holy Spirit, please help me to understand this and start praying it out to God. Oh, come on, Paul, you've got to hurry up. Number four, in this life, We are loved by the Father. He says, The Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Verse 27. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are loved by the Father. That's the start of it, that's the end of it, and there are no exceptions. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus says to his disciples, those 11 there, they're loved by the Father. What's the next thing they're going to do? Run away. They're going to absolutely mess it up. And he says here, doesn't he? Look, look what he says. He says, the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. If you are a believer, Jesus In Jesus, you are loved by the Father. You are. And your faith may be weak, and you may feel absolutely frail, and you may think that I spend more time letting God down than I do pleasing Him. But if you have faith, a genuine faith in Jesus, however weak or imperfect it is, you are loved. You are loved. No exceptions. If you're his, you are loved. Do you know that? You're meant to. We're meant to know that I know, that I know that I am loved by the Father. Jesus' death on the cross proves that you are loved. The fact you're an adopted child of God proves that you are loved. There isn't anything bigger he could do than that. Jesus died on the cross to make a way for you to come to the Father. Then He adopts you into His family, and you are secure there for eternity. You don't come, we don't come in weakness and uncertainty. Will, will I be accepted? I come as bold as a son or a daughter to their parent, knowing, "I am accepted. You are loved. Verse five, slight change attack, but, but not verse five, not point quick five. Jesus was so thoroughly rooted in his relationship to the Father. Just notice what it says in verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to my Father. Old oh, church, how we need to know that we are rooted in the Father. I, I, Jesus, it, what, for Jesus, this wasn't geography. He didn't say, I've come from heaven and I'm returning to heaven. He says, no, no, I've come from the Father and I'm returning to the Father. And Jesus was about to die on the cross, isolated and alone, but he knew his identity. I am rooted in the Father. I came from the Father, I'm returning to the Father. So in the disappointment and the sorrow and the things that Jesus needed to walk through, he was rooted in that fact. I imagine for, for years and years, Jesus had been pickling himself in that I am the dearly beloved son of the Father. And so likewise, how we need to be rooted in this wonderful thing. We find Jesus' identity and purpose in being a son to his Father. I always do what pleases my Father, Jesus says earlier. These are not my words, but my Father's words. How we need to be confident, convinced, secure in our relationship, in our new identity as children of God. And I think, if I'm honest, this is critical. If we're going to navigate hardship, sorrow in this life. Have your roots grown in deep. I am loved by the Father. And number six. Jesus said this, the father will never leave me. He says in verse 32, you will leave me all alone, he says to his disciples, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. Jesus had confidence in the father's near presence. I feel these words have prophetic significance for a number of you today. Why don't you just Um, Close your eyes and just raise your hands. Jesus said this, you will leave me all alone. Those nearest and dearest to Jesus were going to abandon him. But he says, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I am not alone, my Father is with me. I am not alone because my Father is with me. And I I just wonder if for some of you, they're the words you need for this season of life. I am not alone because my Father is with me. How do we navigate through the difficulties, the hardships, and the troubles of this life, how can we know joy and peace mingled in the midst of some of these things is being rooted and secure in the Father? He will never leave us. And in this final discourse, this final words that Jesus shares, he's told us about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sending another counsellor to be with you forever. This, This stuff is... Learned by the Spirit. Can I just invite the band back up, please? Holy Spirit, I just pray, please will you, um, just even as we're we're looking at some things that are tricky and difficult and uh, being reminded of how wonderful all we have in, in you is, I, I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, will you take just maybe one thing that's been said this morning and, and keep it close in our hearts that we can take it away? Father, I pray as we take the bread and wine together and we remember that this, this access, this knowing, this being loved, this rooted, is only possible because of what you have done, Jesus Christ, and your cross.